0: Today, I want you to invite you to turn with me to the letter of 1 John. Uh, look there in the Bible, in the letters of 1 John. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote these uh, letters or epistles, and also the book of Revelation as well. Today, we're going to continue our series about the five purposes of the church. And one of the five purposes of the church is called fellowship. Fellowship. We're going to talk about what koinonia means and apply that to uh, our situation here at Ekron and understand how God is using fellowship to uh, carry the gospel and to make disciples. Fellowship is a vital part of discipleship because in fellowship... There is accountability in relationships with each other. We're not lone rangers trying to follow the Lord Jesus. Uh, We're we're not out there struggling by ourselves. We are in a bond, in a unity, in a group, in a body, in a fellowship, in a koinonia, uh, where Christ is the center of that fellowship that draws us to each other. A few Sundays ago... uh, my sermon was interrupted by a a crop duster, and I thought that was kind of fun. And then uh, down in Louisiana, during the revival, my sermon was interrupted by a thunderstorm. Uh, This pavilion that we preach in, or under, I should say, is covered with tin, and I've never heard it rain so hard and hail all at the same time. I mean, it was just uh, the, the loudest thing, and we had this new sound system, and I'm trying to talk over the sound system, and God's trying to talk over me. And um, so I just gave up and said, okay, Lord. And we just stopped everything and waited, and in just a minute or two, uh, it quit raining. And I uh, finished the sermon. And, and I told the group, I said, well, you know, twice now the Lord has interrupted me and said, would you just let me do the talking? You know, would you just, would you just hush and let me do the talking? Because it truly is an experience of the Holy Spirit when we are together in God's Word. Remember, it is the Spirit of God that has inspired the Word of God, which speaks to the people of God. And so, as we begin with prayer, we begin by understanding that our relationship with the Lord is through the power of the Spirit and through the exercise of prayer. And we don't just pray and then have a sermon. Uh, That dialogue and conversation with God continues in fellowship with His Spirit. So I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Our Father and our God, we thank you and praise you for your Holy Spirit that just takes over. And we just have to be quiet sometimes and listen. Be still and know that thou art God. In the next few moments, I pray, Lord, that you will give us fresh understanding in what it means to be in fellowship with you and in fellowship with each other, as together we are serving the cause of Christ that brings unity in the body of Christ. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, the head of the church, our Savior and our Lord. Amen and amen. All right, we are in the epistles of John, 1 John, right there before you get to Revelation. You'll find First and Second and 3 John, and we're going to read from this first letter. Now, it's important to understand as we move into this passage that the scriptures that we have are about Jesus. The people whom God used to compose these scriptures were people who were with Jesus. That's what makes this book so creditable, so reliable. Uh, It's not a book that just fell down from heaven in a cave somewhere and somebody transcribed it. That's the case for the Book of Mormon. It's not like the uh, Koran that is considered so holy that uh, a wrapper has to be covered around it in order to keep it from being defiled if an infidel like myself were to absolutely touch it. I know in the military we had to order all kinds of religious literature, and when the Korans were shipped in, they were covered in cellophane, but you could not touch them because an infidel like myself would defame it, and so it would have to be destroyed. That kind of magical mystery covering there creates a mystery about the scriptures. But it is not the Word of God. The Word of God that comes to us is historical. It is for real. This Word of God that comes to us is documented by the presence and person of Jesus Christ. One of the many qualifications for those writings, and there were many Gospels that were written. Some of you have heard about on the news, like the Gospel of Thomas and other Gospels that were written. There were over a 100 Gospels. Uh, that were written and out of those the church had to decide which is inspired of god well one of the criteria for the gospel to be in our canon was that the author was with jesus the author was one of the apostles someone who'd been with the lord and had been taught by the lord now john the writer of these letters and the writer of first john was certainly with jesus as an apostle The other author that we have in the New Testament who was with Jesus and was taught by Jesus is the Apostle Paul. Jesus appeared to Paul. Paul's life was dramatically changed on the road to um, Damascus, and uh, he was taught by the Lord Jesus for a number of years. And you'll find what Jesus taught the Apostle Paul is the same things that Jesus taught the writers or the authors of the Gospels. When you consider the Gospels, you consider how they are alike and how they're different. And one of the reasons that the Gospels are so authentic and genuine is that they are different. You say, well, shouldn't they all be exactly the same? Well, if they were, you would caution to think that one person might have written the whole thing. But they were written by many people. And uh, when you look at the Gospel of Matthew... Uh, You have the prophecy of the coming of Jesus, and then you have the narrative of Christ with us, and then you have the teachings of Jesus. Uh, You have his baptism, his teachings, and then his ministry, and many, many, many of the miracles of Jesus. And then you have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When you look to the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't talk about the prediction of the coming of Jesus. Mark begins with the ministry of Jesus. It's like boots on the field. And Mark covers the ministry of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and then the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When you go to Luke, it's kind of like Matthew. There's the prediction of the coming of the Christ, and then the, um, the stories of his narrative of his birth, and then the a baptism of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Plain, it's called. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. And then, the, then you have the Passion of Christ, and then you have the death, the burial, and the re- resurrection of Jesus. When you get to the Gospel of John, it's entirely different. John begins with the preexistence of Jesus in heaven. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you have the ministry of Jesus. Then you have the miracles of Jesus. And uh, the stories that, Luke, I mean, uh, that John tells, there's a pa- double uh, parallel going here. Uh, On the surface, there's the story of the woman at the well and the water that she drinks that Jesus offers to her. But then there's the spiritual story that goes with that, that Jesus is the living water. And and those uh, incidences happen all throughout the Gospel of John. You also have the, the signs that are pointing to the person of Christ. And then you have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now you tell me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all different in their perspective of Jesus, but what one event do they have in common? Remember this one? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This is the gospel. And this is why the four gospels are called the gospel. And this verifies for me that the Christ was really here, He really died, He was raised from the dead, and He is coming again. And I can trust this book because it is, number one, true in its testimony, number two, true to the people who authored this book because they died believing it. They were willing to be martyred. They were willing to be executed rather than to say, we were wrong. They were willing to die for what they saw, for what they heard, for what they touched, for how their lives were transformed, and the truth of the gospel impact on their life for all of eternity. They would rather die than recant. And say it didn't happen. Of all the reasons for believing this book, for me, that's the one that's most powerful. What are you willing to die for? So when you open the letter of 1 John, you begin to read these words. What was from the beginning, now you see the echo of the Gospel of John here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What was from the beginning, he says in his letter, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, beheld, and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. Folks, this here is the written Word of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. He came to give us life, and life eternal. So to have been with Jesus is to have been with the word, the living word of life. And that's why it's capitalized here in this passage. He is the word of life, the living word of life. Verse 2 says, This life was manifested, meaning revealed, And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Here's the teaching of the incarnation of Christ. Jesus did not come into existence at his birth in Bethlehem. Jesus was God the Son with the Father in eternity past. In eternity past if you think that's a big word, I was in Christology class. My professor was so smart, he could make up words. You know, these, these guys that are on that level that I'm not, you know, they, they have the right to kind of make up words as they go along, and it gets into our theological dictionary and all that. And he said, Jesus existed in eternity past. And then he said, that's underivable meaning you can't understand it, and you said you put all that together and you got got preexistent underivability. I just threw my pen up in the class and said I give up. I can't keep up. But there really are no words to describe the pre-eternal existence of God that we can comprehend exactly who God is. And I'm glad of that. I serve a living God that will never run out of being. God is love, he says in this very book of the Bible. I serve a God who will never exhaust love. I will get to live with a God in heaven and all of eternity, being loved by the one who is love. And it will never end. It will never end. Went back to my hometown, uh, here last week for the revival, and we had a great time. We had a record number of attendants in years. Um, to have 85 people come out and sit on those old benches and sawdust ground and sit outside and it's hot and rainy and all muggy and all that and fight mosquitoes, that, that's a pretty, that's pretty uh, strong crowd. I mean, th- these people are tough. They came, 85 of them. The next night had 65, and uh, we just had a great time. But the sad note is, the little hometown where I went to, the industry is leaving. It's kind of like eastern Kentucky in the towns where the coal has been mined and there's nothing left. In this little town, the trees have been cut down, and you can see for miles and miles and miles across there. By the way, the deer hunting is excellent, but, uh, but the timber's gone. And uh, the plywood mills now are gone. The lumber mills now are gone, and the jobs are gone. And where you have unemployment, what do you have high that's high? Low, low employment yields high what? Low employment yields high what? Crime. People are selling drugs and on drugs and trying to live by selling drugs. And that the t- you can just see the decay of the town, and it really broke my heart. Because I grew up in an era when it was boomy. And people thought we'll always live here and it'll just get better and bigger and better as time goes along. And now I've lived long enough to see it exhausted. And it's sad. It's really sad. I thank God today that my home is not Wynn Parish, Louisiana. I thank God today my eternal home is not Meade County. I thank God today that my eternal home is not Jefferson County in Louisville or Hawaii or anywhere else in this world. Folks, this whole world is decaying. This whole world is crumbling, even as we speak. And every empire, every economy, every uh, means of making a living and so forth, it's all short-term. It's all coming to an end. And that is very sad, and that creates a lot of chaos, that creates a lot of anxiety. But in place of that, I have been promised a home in God's holy heaven. My body is decaying as I speak to you right now. I'm getting older by the day, and the people I went back to see and went to high school, they're really old. (laughs) I mean, they are old. I look at them and I think, have you looked in the mirror lately? You're old. What's happened to you? Well, as time goes along, there are just fewer and fewer. One of the reasons I trust the Word of God is that it is eternal. Grasses wither, flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever. And this Word of God has promised me that I have got a home in God's holy heaven that is eternal and never exhausted because God who is love never ends. God who is love is eternal and the heaven that God has prepared for you and for me is holy and eternal forever and ever and ever and ever. There are gates in that city called heaven where we go out and we go in one of the reasons we go out of heaven is that we join God in His creative activity in the universe, doing something, making something, creating something, something bigger, something better, something even more awesome. And then we go back into heaven and we have fried chicken dinner to marriage supper of the Lamb. I really believe that. I really believe that. Blessed is he that's invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to have fried chicken, Miss Phyllis, when we get there because that's just the way Baptists think. So we don't have to consider Jesus as something forgotten and past. Jesus is someone who exists for eternity and is coming again. Now listen to this, and hang on to this. This will really help you. The future that God wants for you is coming to you. Every day, that future is a little closer to you than it was yesterday. We think of the future as something we plan for, and we put on a calendar, and we calculate we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we'll go here, and we'll go there. But in God's kingdom, his future is coming to us. His preferred future for us is life everlasting in his holy heaven. And it's coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now the question he raises here is the question that you need to ask yourself. Do you know this Jesus? Or is he still a stranger? Is he still someone on the pages of history, or is he someone that's personal in your life? Do you know this Jesus? If you don't know this Jesus, then you're not following and walking after him. One of the signs of an unbeliever that is often used to miscalculate whether or not you're a disciple is that we do our own thing, We pray to God to give us more stuff. We pray to God to give us more success. I'm a believer in the Scripture. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And so if I believe hard enough, I'll have everything I want in this life. That's so often the label of what it means to be a disciple and a believer in Jesus Christ. But the Scripture is very clear that Jesus is a person. He is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth. He lived among us. He died for our sins on that cross, and He was raised from the dead by the power of God. He ascended into heaven, and He is coming back. Will you know Him when He returns? There is some rumbling taking place in our world right now. I don't mean rumors. I mean rumblings. There are economic rumblings. There are government powers that are shifting. Uh, There is a rumbling of climate change, and cities are beginning to calculate how they will face a future underwater. I mean, our world is changing that quickly. I sense and I feel that rumbling. The Apostle Paul called it groaning. Creation is groaning a kind of aching, a kind of groaning. It can't continue uh, to flourish under, the, under the, um, the harassment and the abuse that we are uh, giving out to the world that God made. We're no longer partners with God. We are trying to receive presents from God all the time. We want God to be Santa Claus and give us everything that we want in our life. And God is speaking to us in our age and our time saying, it won't be long until Jesus comes again. Will you know him when he comes? Now, you will not read about it in the newspaper. It will not be on CNN. Fox News will not carry it. NBC, CBS, and ABC will not uh, broadcast the second coming of Christ. It will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And the trumpet will blow, and the dead in Christ will be raised. And these tombs where the bodies have been buried, even the sea where the ashes have been spread, resurrection bodies will ascend from those tombs, and we will be gathered together in God's holy heaven. We will face a judgment. It's born and done to man wants to die, the Bible says, and after death, the judgment. And this judgment's going to be either the great white white throne judgment where the books are open, and if your name's not found in the Lamb's book of life, you will spend eternity in a place called death and hell. The other judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. And those of us who believe in Jesus will stand at that judgment bar. Jesus will be there as our attorney. And when God asks me, how do you plead, I'll say guilty. And Jesus will say, no, no, not guilty. Not guilty. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that I have promised for you. So which will you hear when that day comes? Depart from me, I never knew you. Or well done, my good and faithful servant. Those who are faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ will hear the latter. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's where the future's going to. That's the future for all of us. And that's why he writes in this passage of Scripture about fellowship. Which fellowship are you in? What is fellowship? The word is koinonia. Koinonia. And it means, if we could translate it in Baptist terms, everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction. That's what fellowship really is all about. Fellowship is not about uniformity. We all look just alike. We all dress just alike. I remember there was a day when you could pick out a preacher in the crowd because he had that Billy Graham-style haircut, and when he got to preach, he sounded like Dr. Billy Graham. And you could just spot these preachers. Nowadays, they're bald-headed got beards and wear their shirt tail out, and they're hard to pick out of the crowd. And still they, until they start talking, then you kind of pick out who they are. What evidence is in your life that you are a believer and that you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ? What is it about you that stands out? Well here in this passage description verse 3 he says what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ one of the keys of understanding fellowship is the write in term for your outline today it's called transformational you have had a transformational experience with the living god Jesus Christ. You have been in His presence. You have received Him as saving your Lord, and your life has been transformed. You are different now. And there's something about you that identifies you wherever you go. I heard a podcast by Tony Evans this week. If any of you ever get to hear Dr. Tony Evans, listen to him. Lifeway really loves Dr. Tony Evans. But he was talking about the time that he was a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. He said uh, those were the days they were winning. He said he noticed out on the field there were two teams, two opposing teams, each of them had a different colored jersey and a different colored helmet. He said these two opposing teams were at odds with each other and there was a battle and a conflict on the, quote, gridiron. That's why it's called a gridiron. And they both wanted the same goal. They wanted the same ball, and they both wanted to score, but it looked like neither one of them could could do do that. However, he said there was a third uh, team on the field. The third team on the field were the referees. He said, these referees were on the field uh, at the authority of the National Football League. Their headquarters were not in Tampa. (laughs) Their headquarters was not in Dallas. Their headquarters was uh, in New York City. They were bought and paid for by the NFL, and they were accountable to the NFL to call that football game. He said, you could identify these referees on the field. They wore these white and black striped jerseys. And they had a whistle in their mouth and they had a flag in their pocket. And he said, no matter what was taking place on the field between these two opposing teams, the final authority was the referee. Jesus said to you and me, you are the fellowship of people that I am sending to go and make disciples. All authority, just like the referee's authority was from Hyde's Park in New York City, our authority is from the living Jesus Christ to go into all the world and make disciples. You can't make a disciple until you first become a disciple. That's the transformation that I'm talking about here. And the only way to receive that kind of transformation is, number one, Admit that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not real hard to do. We all know we're sinners. The hardest part to do is to admit that we are. We've been playing this game that we don't want others to think that we're really that bad. We haven't really, you know, um, jumped the line ahead of the, uh, the snap of the ball. That wasn't me. We, we really aren't guilty of holding. That was the other team. We weren't really guilty of targeting some guy and getting a penalty for that. We really weren't guilty of interference or some other, that, that was some other guy. Or the referee made a mistake. No, the truth is, we have all done something wrong. And if you've broken one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken all of them. We are guilty of all of them. And what stands over us for those who are guilty of that sin is the um, Day of Accountability called Judgment Day, where if your name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will be cast into outer darkness. And so the fellowship of those that are on the field that have the authority to call this game we call referees. And they go by a book, a particular book. They live by that book. And they'd make their decisions based upon that book. You and I are just like those referees. We live by a book. We make decisions by this book. It is called the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that guides us in our decision-making of what is right and what is wrong. So have you had that transformational experience where you admitted that you sinned, number two, you're willing to confess that Jesus is your Lord publicly before other people. If you've not made that step, I invite you to come onto the field and start playing. Some of you have been up in the stands, some of you have been watching, you've been looking, you've been observing, but you've not been on the field playing this game of life. I invite you to come today. And to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ so that He will be your Lord and that He will be your Savior. Our fellowship is with Him. That is a transformational experience. The second final point I want to share with you, and we'll close with this idea, is that fellowship is what unites us as disciples around the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, everything I've spoken today about the gospel of Christ, that's our mission, to go and to tell and to share. When we do that, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God because our authority is from the risen Christ. Fellowship in the church is when we're all doing that together. That brings an energy to the body of Christ. We know we're on task when we are doing that together. Now let me close with this little observation. In Sunday school this morning, we were speaking about God's call to Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, over there, about 400 miles from where you live, there is a piece of land. That's your target. And I'm going to lead you in that direction. And uh, when you get where I want you to be, I'll let you know. But for right now, you just go that way. And the Bible says Abraham collected his family and collected his stuff. Uh, and off they went with Lot, his, uh, his uh, n- n- nephew. And so they went until they found that appointed place. Same is true in the Exodus. God told the people of Israel, I've got a place designated for you. Come follow me and I'll take you there. And they went to that place. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness because of their rebellion. They finally learned how to listen to God. And when they finally learned how to listen to God, they were able to enter the promised land under their new leader, Joshua, instead of Moses. Now, those are all models of church growth that we have tried to emulate in our modern times. We've also used those to grow industry and business. Here's your goal. This is where you're going. Let's all get on board and go that way, and we call that fellowship. But in the New Testament, it's quite different. In the New Testament, it requires a lot more personal discipleship and followership, and struggle with the Holy Spirit of God. Peter is our example. The Lord told Peter in a dream, Peter had been under the Old Testament law, living under the Old Testament law, and he believed that uh, the chosen people of God were the Jews, not the Gentiles. And God appeared to Peter in a dream, and he said, Peter, Here's some unclean things. I want you to eat it. Peter said, No, I don't eat unclean stuff. Well, that was one of the laws. I'm a Jew. I'm not a Gentile. Gentile eat eat unclean. God says, I want you to identify with the Gentiles. No, I'm not going to do it. Three times God had this dream recur with uh, the apostle Peter. And uh, finally Peter gave in and said, Okay, I'll do what you want me to do. So Peter goes and visits a guy named Cornelius. And when he got to Cornelius, Cornelius said, we've been praying for you to come and share with us the gospel. And Peter said, yeah, I I just could hardly wait to get here. Not. He was drugged by the Holy Spirit to go visit Cornelius. And God has dragged some of you. Into service and ministry as well, kicking and screaming. And we find a whole new model of church growth here. Let's just obey God and see where He takes us. We can draw on the board. One, two, three, four, five wishes. Things we'd like to see happen. And we can say, that's the promised land. That's where we're going. Let's do that. Well, what's it going to take to do that? Well, now we bring in all our leadership models and leadership strategies and programs and ideas. And, you know, we we just go at it. But there's another way to see the church grow. Let's let go of our prejudices. Let's let go of our previous notions. Let's let the future be an open book. Let's obey God. And then see where he takes us. Who would have known that a little girl growing up here in this church was a little G.A., and said, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. And from this church, having said yes to God, he took her with her family now serving on the foreign mission field. And the impact they are having began at Akron Baptist Church because discipleship was taking place through GAs. Had nothing to do with the building. Had nothing to do with budgets. Didn't have anything to do with who the pastor was. Just faithful leaders who said, I'm going to disciple these students. And help them figure out what does God want us to do. And let them go do that. And now they represent the kingdom of God in a foreign country where people are still coming to faith in Jesus Christ under a religion that will not allow it. Folks, that's our future. That's why discipleship is so important. And when we find fellowship together serving the Lord with that kind of focus and commitment We can't even begin to write down one, two, or three of what God's going to do. We just hold on for what God's going to do next. And we just relish and celebrate the activity of God. Because as he took Peter to Cornelius, and that's all he told him, that's all he showed him. But because Peter obeyed, God opened the door to the gospel The gospel went from Jerusalem to Greece, from Greece to Rome, from Rome to Spain, from Spain to Germany, from Germany to England, and from England through the Great Awakening to the Americas, Charleston, South Carolina, was where the Great Awakening started in our country here. And it continues eastward, and now the gospel is flourishing south of the equator, and east of Hawaii. That's where the gospel revivals are being held. Our role for the future is back to the basics. Finding fellowship in discipleship. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the call to be your disciples. We thank you for the opportunity that investment in other people and walking together in accountability with each other, what all of that is going to bring. It's a beautiful future. It requires us to be patient. It requires us to be open-ended and flexible. Blessed are those who are flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape, one missionary said. Help us not to get bent out of shape, Lord, in being flexible. And that our next thing to do is to be faithful with the gospel. And when we do that, you reveal a future to us greater than we can possibly imagine. But it begins by one step, and I pray there will be one person here today that will step out in the aisle and say, I say yes to Jesus. I'm not going to say no anymore. I'm going to say yes to Jesus today and go where he takes me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You, too, can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family, with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.